Section two of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Chris Turtle. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book one, chapter four. The reader's neck brought into danger by a description. His escape and the great condescension of Miss Bridget Allworthy. The Gothic style of building could produce nothing nobler than Mr. Allworthy's house. There was an air of grandeur in it that struck you with awe, and rivalled the beauties of the best Grecian architecture, and it was as commodious within as venerable without. It stood on the south-east side of a hill, but nearer the bottom than the top of it, so as to be sheltered from the north-east by a grove of old oaks, which rose above it in a gradual ascent of near half a mile, and yet high enough to enjoy a most charming prospect of the valley beneath. In the midst of the grove was a fine lawn, sloping down towards the house, near the summit of which rose a plentiful spring, gushing out of a rock covered with firs, and forming a constant cascade of about thirty feet, not carried down a regular flight of steps, but tumbling in a natural fall over the broken and mossy stones, till it came to the bottom of the rock, then running off in a pebbly channel, that with many lesser falls winded along, till it fell into a lake at the foot of the hill, about a quarter of a mile below the house on the south side, and which was seen from every room in the front. Out of this lake, which filled the centre of a beautiful plain, embellished with groups of beeches and elms, and fed with sheep, issued a river, that for several miles was seen to meander through an amazing variety of meadows and woods, till it emptied itself into the sea, with a large arm of which, and an island beyond it, the prospect was closed. On the right of this valley opened another of less extent, adorned with several villages, and terminated by one of the towers of an old ruined abbey, grown over with ivy, and part of the front, which remained still entire. The left-hand scene presented the view of a very fine park, composed of very unequal ground, and agreeably varied with all the diversity that hills, lawns, wood, and water, laid out with admirable taste, but owing less to art than to nature, could give. Beyond this, the country gradually rose into a ridge of wild mountains, the tops of which were above the clouds. It was now the middle of May, and the morning was remarkably serene, when Mr. Allworthy walked forth on to the terrace, where the dawn opened every minute that lovely prospect we have before described to his eye. And now having sent forth streams of light, which ascended the blue firmament before him as harbingers preceding his pomp, in the full blaze of his majesty rose the sun, than which one object alone in this lower creation could be more glorious and that Mr. Allworthy himself presented, a human being replete with benevolence, meditating in what manner he might render himself most acceptable to his Creator, by doing most good to his creatures. Reader, take care. I have unadvisedly led thee to the top of as high a hill as Mr. Allworthy's, and how to get thee down without breaking thy neck, I do not well know. However, let us even venture to slide down together, for Miss Bridget rings her bell, and Mr. Allworthy is summoned to breakfast, where I must attend, and, if you please, shall be glad of your company. The usual compliments having passed between Mr. Allworthy and Miss Bridget, and the tea being poured out, he summoned Mrs. Wilkins, and told his sister he had a present for her, for which she thanked him, imagining, I suppose, it had been a gown, or some ornament for her person. Indeed, he very often made her such presents, and she, in complaisance to him, spent much time in adorning herself. I say in complaisance to him, because she always expressed the greatest contempt for dress, and for those ladies who made it their study. 
But if such was her expectation, how was she disappointed when Mrs. Wilkins, according to the order she had received from her master, produced the little infant? Great surprises, as hath been observed, are apt to be silent. And so was Miss Bridget, till her brother began, and told her the whole story, which, as the reader knows it already, we shall not repeat. Miss Bridget had always expressed so great a regard for what the ladies are pleased to call virtue, and had herself maintained such a severity of character, that it was expected, especially by Wilkins, that she would have vented much bitterness on this occasion, and would have voted for sending the child, as a kind of noxious animal, immediately out of the house. But, on the contrary, she rather took the good-natured side of the question, intimated some compassion for the helpless little creature, and commended her brother's charity in what he had done. Perhaps the reader may account for this behaviour from her condescension to Mr. Allworthy, when we have informed him that the good man had entered his narrative with owning a resolution to take care of the child, and to breed him up as his own. For, to acknowledge the truth, she was always ready to oblige her brother, and very seldom, if ever, contradicted his sentiments. She would, indeed, sometimes make a few observations, as that men were headstrong, and must have their own way. But would she have been blessed with an independent fortune? But these were always vented in a low voice and at the most amounted only to what is called muttering. However, what she withheld from the infant, she bestowed with the utmost profuseness on the poor unknown mother, whom she called an impudent slut, a wanton hussy, an audacious harlot, a wicked jade, a vile strumpet, with every other appellation with which the tongue of virtue never fails to lash those who bring a disgrace on the sex. A consultation was now entered into how to proceed in order to discover the mother. A scrutiny was first made into the characters of the female servants of the house, who were all acquitted by Mrs. Wilkins, and with apparent merit, for she had collected them herself, and perhaps it would be difficult to find such another set of scarecrows. The next step was to examine among the inhabitants of the parish, and this was referred to Mrs. Wilkins, who was to inquire with all imaginable diligence, and to make her report in the afternoon. Matters being thus settled, Mr. Allworthy withdrew to his study, as was his custom, and left the child to his sister, who, at his desire, had undertaken the care of it. CHAPTER V. CONTAINING A FEW COMMON MATTERS, WITH A VERY UNCOMMON OBSERVATION UPON THEM. When her master was departed, Mrs. Deborah stood silent, expecting her cue from Miss Bridget, for as to what had passed before her master, the prudent housekeeper by no means relied upon it, as she had often known the sentiments of the lady in her brother's absence to differ greatly from those which she had expressed in his presence. Miss Bridget did not, however, suffer her to continue long in this doubtful situation, for having looked some time earnestly at the child, as it lay asleep in the lap of Mrs. Deborah, the good lady could not forbear giving it a hearty kiss, at the same time declaring herself wonderfully pleased with its beauty and innocence. Mrs. Deborah no sooner observed this than she fell to squeezing and kissing, with as great raptures as sometimes inspire the sage dame of forty and five towards a youthful and vigorous bridegroom, crying out in a shrill voice, "'Oh, the dear little creature! The dear sweet pretty creature! Well, I vow it is as fine a boy as ever was seen!' These exclamations continued till they were interrupted by the lady, who now proceeded to execute the commission given her by her brother and gave orders for providing all necessaries for the child, appointing a very good room in the house for his nursery. Her orders were indeed so liberal that, had it been a child of her own, she could not have exceeded them, but, lest the virtuous reader may condemn her for showing too great a regard to a base-born infant, to which all charity is condemned by law as irreligious, we think proper to observe that she concluded the whole with saying, 
Since it was her brother's whim to adopt the little brat, she supposed little master must be treated with great tenderness. For her part, she could not help thinking it was an encouragement to vice, but that she knew too much of the obstinacy of mankind to oppose any of their ridiculous humours. With reflections of this nature, she usually, as has been hinted, accompanied every act of compliance with her brother's inclinations, and surely nothing could more contribute to heighten the merit of this compliance than the declaration that she knew at the same time the folly and unreasonableness of those inclinations to which she submitted. Tacit obedience implies no force upon the will, and consequently may be easily and without any pains preserved. But when a wife, a child, a relation or a friend, performs what we desire with grumbling and reluctance, with expressions of dislike and dissatisfaction, the manifest difficulty which they undergo must greatly enhance the obligation. As this is one of those deep observations, which very few readers can be supposed capable of making themselves, I have thought proper to lend them my assistance. But this is a favour rarely to be expected in the course of my work. Indeed, I shall seldom or never so indulge him, unless in such instances as this, where nothing but the inspiration with which we writers are gifted can possibly enable any one to make the discovery. CHAPTER six. Mrs. Deborah is introduced into the parish with a simile. A short account of Jenny Jones, with the difficulties and discouragements which may attend young women in the pursuit of learning. Mrs. Deborah, having disposed of the child according to the will of her master, now prepared to visit those habitations which were supposed to conceal its mother. Not otherwise than when a kite's tremendous bird is beheld by the feathered generation soaring aloft and hovering over their heads, the amorous dove and every innocent little bird spread wide the alarm and fly trembling to their hiding places. He proudly beats the air, conscious of his dignity, and meditates intended mischief. So, when the approach of Mrs. Deborah was proclaimed through the street, all the inhabitants ran trembling into their houses, each matron dreading lest the visit should fall to her lot. She with stately steps proudly advances over the field. Aloft she bears her towering head, filled with conceit of her own preeminence, and schemes to effect her intended discovery. The sagacious reader will not from this simile imagine these poor people had any apprehension of the design with which Mrs. Wilkins was now coming toward them. But as the great beauty of the simile may possibly sleep these hundred years, till some future commentator shall take this work in hand, I think proper to lend the reader a little assistance in this place. It is my intention, therefore, to signify that, as it is the nature of a kite to devour little birds, so it is the nature of such persons as Mrs. Wilkins to insult and tyrannise over little people. This being indeed the means which they use to recompense themselves their extreme servility and condescension to their superiors, for nothing can be more reasonable than that slaves and flatterers should exact the same taxes on all below them, which they themselves pay to all above them. Whenever Mrs. Deborah had occasion to exert any extraordinary condescension to Mrs. Bridget, and by that means had a little soured her natural disposition, it was usual with her to walk forth among these people, in order to refine her temper, by venting, and, as it were, purging off all ill-humours, on which account she was by no means a welcome visitant. To say the truth, she was universally dreaded and hated by them all. On her arrival in this place, she went immediately to the habitation of an elderly matron, to whom, as this matron had the good fortune to resemble herself in the comeliness of her person, as well as in her age, she had generally been more favourable than to any of the rest. To this woman she imparted what had happened, and the design upon which she was come thither that morning. These two began presently to scrutinise the characters of the several young girls who lived in any of those houses, and at last fixed their strongest suspicion on one Jenny Jones, 
who, they both agreed, was the likeliest person to have committed this fact. This Jenny Jones was no very comely girl, either in her face or person, but nature had somewhat compensated the want of beauty with what is generally more esteemed by those ladies whose judgment is arrived at through years of perfect maturity, for she had given her a very uncommon share of understanding. This gift Jenny had a good deal improved by erudition. She had lived several years a servant with a schoolmaster, who, discovering a great quickness of parts in the girl, and an extraordinary desire of learning, for every leisure hour she was always found reading in the books of the scholars, had the good nature or folly, just as the reader pleases to call it, to instruct her so far that she obtained a competent skill in the Latin language, and was perhaps as good a scholar as most of the young men of quality of the age. This advantage, however, like most others of an extraordinary kind, was attended with some small inconveniences. For as it is not to be wondered at that a young woman so well accomplished should have little relish for the society of those whom fortune had made her equals, but whom education had rendered so much her inferiors, so is it matter of no greater astonishment that this superiority in Jenny, together with that behaviour which is its certain consequence, should produce among the rest some little envy and ill-will towards her. And these had, perhaps, secretly burnt in the bosoms of her neighbours ever since her return from her service. Their envy did not, however, display itself openly, till poor Jenny, to the surprise of everybody, and to the vexation of all the young women in these parts, had publicly shone forth on a Sunday in a new silk gown, with a laced cap, and other proper appendages to these. The flame, which had before lain in embryo, now burst forth. Jenny had, by her learning, increased her own pride, which none of her neighbours were kind enough to feed with the honour she seemed to demand, and now, instead of respect and adoration, she gained nothing but hatred and abuse by her finery. The whole parish declared she could not come honestly by such things, and parents, instead of wishing their daughters the same, felicitated themselves that their children had them not. Hence, perhaps, it was that the good woman first mentioned the name of this poor girl to Mrs. Wilkins. But there was another circumstance that confirmed the latter in her suspicion, for Jenny had lately been often at Mr. Allworthy's house, she had officiated as nurse to Miss Bridget, in a violent fit of illness, and had sat up many nights with that lady, besides which she had been seen there the very day before Mr. Allworthy's return by Mrs. Wilkins herself, though that sagacious person had not at first conceived any suspicion of her on that account, for as she herself said, she had always esteemed Jenny as a very sober girl, though indeed she knew her very little, and had rather suspected some of those wanton trollops who gave themselves airs because forsooth they thought themselves handsome. Jenny was now summoned to appear in person before Mrs. Deborah, which she immediately did. When Mrs. Deborah, putting on the gravity of a judge, with somewhat more than his austerity, began an oration with the words, You audacious strumpet, in which she proceeded rather to pass sentence on the prisoner than to accuse her. Though Mrs. Deborah was fully satisfied of the guilt of Jenny, from the reasons above shown, it is possible Mr. Allworthy might have required some stronger evidence to have convicted her but she saved her accusers any such trouble by freely confessing the whole fact with which she was charged. This confession, though delivered rather in terms of contrition, as it appeared, did not at all mollify Mrs. Deborah, who now pronounced a second judgment against her, in more opprobrious language than before, nor had it any better success with the bystanders, who were now grown very numerous. Many of them cried out, They thought what Madame Silk Gown would end in. Others spoke sarcastically of her learning. Not a single female was present, but found some means of expressing her abhorrence of poor Jenny, 
who bore all very patiently, except the malice of one woman, who reflected upon her person, and tossing up her nose, said, The man must have a good stomach who would give silk gowns for such a sort of trumpery. Jenny replied to this with a bitterness which might have surprised a judicious person, who had observed the tranquillity with which she bore all the affronts to her chastity. But her patience was perhaps tired out, for this is a virtue which is very apt to be fatigued by exercise. Mrs. Deborah, having succeeded beyond her hopes in her inquiry, returned with much triumph, and, at the appointed hour, made a faithful report to Mr. Allworthy, who was much surprised at the relation, for he had heard of the extraordinary parts and improvements of this girl, whom he intended to have given in marriage, together with a small living, to a neighbouring curate. His concern, therefore, on this occasion, was at least equal to the satisfaction which appeared in Mrs. Deborah, and to many readers may seem much more reasonable. Miss Bridget blessed herself, and said, for her part she should never hereafter entertain a good opinion of any woman. For Jenny, before this, had the happiness of being much in her good graces also. The prudent housekeeper was again dispatched to bring the unhappy culprit before Mr. Allworthy, in order, not as it was hoped by some and expected by all, to be sent to the house of correction, but to receive wholesome admonition and reproof, which those who relish that kind of instructive writing may peruse in the next chapter. End of section 2